Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Two Norries podcast. I am your host, James, and I'm joined, as always, by my good friend, Timmy Lam. Hi, everyone. Rowan, my cousin, is on the decks. Say hi, Rowan. Hi, Rowan. Hi, Rowan. How are you? <laughs> and this week, we have an author and a therapist, Bridget Walsh-Bourne. A double barrel surname, and I didn't want to get it wrong. Thank you very much. I apologize for rescheduling because we were meant to be down a couple of weeks ago, but we had a lot going on with live shows, podcasts. I had COVID in between it all, and then I got my wisdom towed out. And oh, for goodness sake. I know, an awful <laughs> Moving as well. We bought a home and we moved houses. Well, mm. so much oh, going on. Sake, a lot going on uh, yeah, well. you know. What is that up in the top three most difficult things? Yeah, things yeah. in in a yeah. in a life. Yeah. I and you know what? Like you can, you might think like it might be stressful for him, it won't be stressful for me. But you know what? There's no way around it. Like it's stressful no matter who you are. I'd say when the Dalai Lama was moving home, I'd say he was. Mm-hmm. Off if a relationship yeah. gets through a move, a house move, or a house build, yeah. <laughs> that relationship should. Last forever, yeah, yeah, or even yeah. an extension, or even because I we went through it a few years ago. We were only building an extension into the back of the house, and Jesus, the amount of time she walked into the house and started crying, you know, because she might get a bit, I might get a bit of dust somewhere around the house, and it was like, <laughs> God, hard enough now when I was being stretched <laughs> this way and that way about uh, the house, anything to do with the house. It can be really difficult. Yeah, it's very intimate, really. Yeah, you know, it is, like, yeah. like we're like we express ourselves there. You know, mm-hmm. so the thing about moving the house, and I'd move on quickly from this, but the thing about moving the house, I found the most stressful is you have to deal with builders, banks, tradesmen, yeah. solicitors, and a lot of the stuff takes a lot of time. Nothing is done quickly. A lot of it is out of your control. That's right. So yeah. Like I'm very systematic. You know, if there's jobs to be done, I lay them out and I kind of do them and take it off and do them and take it off. Mm-hmm. But when you're buying a house or moving a house, like you have a job that needs to be done, but you can't do it. And then yeah. you're waiting for somebody yeah. to do it. And then yeah. sometimes yeah. they're waiting for somebody else to do it. And they get back to you. And, yeah. then there's, and that's the most stressful part of it, I think. Yeah. But look, we'll do a podcast on moving house another day. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll talk to a couple who have uh, actually got a divorce over. I know, I know. <laughs> the couple's come to maybe like in, And uh, we might be able to help other couples how to deal with it properly or something like that. So, but we'll house into it, Bridger. Yeah. So before we get into the therapies, because you're going to tell us a lot of things that will help people that are listening and watching, yeah. we'll get into so people kind of build a little bit of a rapport with you before we get into the good that that stuff. 
we go back to who uh, who is Bridget and where are you from and where did you grow up? Well, I'm one of six. I'm the second of six girls. Um, and the oldest was seven when the youngest was born. So quite an intense household for Steps my mother. Steps to the stairs. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and um, so I'm from Ahada, so just out the road here, in mm. half an hour from 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 here. Is that near Middleton? Beyond Middleton, um, in the M- Whitegate. Oh, I know Whitegate, yeah. Just yeah. Up mm. the road from Whitegate. That's the soccer team down there to me. Cockbeg, 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 that would be probably more Middleton or anyway, it's not ha- yeah. had it so much. Cockbeg yeah. would be the would be yeah. the local soccer team. Tough teams. <laughs> I, I would have no clue. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, they've been tough. I'd have battles. had some bit of um, knowledge of yeah. the GAA, but not um, and not for a long time now since yeah. I. Can you tell us the decade? You were born and the decade you kind of grew up around that, or like what was the era we're talking about? So I turned 60 with the publication of the book, actually, as well. So that's kind of, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I celebrated it with a book launch at my 60th birthday at the end of last year. So, um, so what was it like in Ahada around the 60s, 70s? It was, oh god, um, is it typical rural Ireland or is it more towny or? Fairly rural, fairly fairly rural. I have an image of of us kind of sitting um, in knitted jumpers on steps outside. You know, I don't know, yeah. but I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, fairly rural. We were a farming uh, family, what so kind of farming? mixed. Um, my father would have done a lot of different things at different, uh, you know, at different stages. Um, we would have had a cow to milk when we were small at one stage and at another time we'd have gone down the road with a bucket mm. to get the milk from the McCarthy's and uh, <laughs> um, he, we we would have had pigs at one stage as well and he uh, later on had chickens, you know, had a house where yeah. we'd have reared chickens for... Pigs are great, aren't they? Mm-hmm. I remember when I was in the St. Francis Farm Drug Treatment Centre mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the food you eat is... You cultivate on the land mm. itself, including the animals. Okay, so yeah. we got in a piglet, but he grew very quickly. Mm-hmm. But I never know, but they're actually like dogs to me. They're like, smart, yeah. They'll come over to you, they'll play with you, they're mm-hmm. full of personality. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, yeah. like a, a mm. cow is in the field and he's grazing and a lamb, but they don't do much. But a pig wants to be over by you, wants to play with you. Mm-hmm. I just thought they're great. Animals. They're smart. Yeah, I, I, don't, I, I remember them being there, but we wouldn't have had that much and that much contact with them. And they were. Um, I'd say we probably didn't have them after, you know, maybe a seven or eight or something like that. So it, it, it isn't a, a yeah. recent memory yeah. um, for me. But uh, And uh, you have six siblings, is it? Five. You have five, five. siblings. And where do you come? Number two. Number two. Yeah, yeah. And uh, is everybody as tall as you? Uh, the smallest is 5'10", and I stand six foot, and there's one of them taller, a little bit taller than me as well. That's so fine, No one messed with you anywhere around the area, I can guarantee you that. Instead <laughs> <laughs> of six, six of you, seven of you. Six, six, six of us, six, yeah. six, and my father then was a tall man as well, yeah. and my mother was tall, so there was yeah. no avoiding it in in our house. And we had aunts, you know, that came in, and they were a little bit on the smaller side. So it was kind of you know. must have been nice growing up with so many sisters to play with, I suppose. Well, it wasn't so, re- well yeah. in a way. I mean, for me, I I just always was a little bit on the outside yeah. there, you know, um, didn't quite have the same freedom yeah. as. 
the elder one is uh, never the rest cool. of them. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I think there's, yeah, there was probably a bit of a dynamic with myself and my mother that kind yeah. of yeah. put me a little bit different. A little bit different. Yeah. 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 Had you a tough relationship tomorrow? Yeah, my sisters would have always said that, you know, that like, I mean, I, I, I would have said it, but they would refer, you know, sometimes you, you, you think that um, you, you think something and other people looking at it wouldn't see that, yeah. you know, but my sisters would have always kind of acknowledged that, you know, that there was always a bit of something there. And at the same time, you know, it was what I knew. Mm. Um, yeah. Lots of your feelings. Huh? I suppose if you're feeling it too, it's definitely going to be a lot more clearer than actually thinking it. If you're feeling like a little bit on the outside. Yeah. Yeah. Get the acknowledgement from the siblings as well, though. Yeah, that, I mean, that was something that would have come later. I mean, when I was in it at the time, you know, I don't know. That was... mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can definitely... <laughs> but come here, tell us this. How was it growing up there? Did you enjoy life growing up? Or was it was when, it a, when a difficult look, time for you? Yeah, when I look back, grey. Yeah, grey. Grey. So grey is in between black and red. Are <laughs> <laughs> my colour blind? So what grey. does grey mean to you? Grey would. There was no real colour. There was no, yeah. you know. Was there love in your home? There was. I mean, there there were actually like. Um, how do I answer this now? Like, in a way, my situation f- feels very different from, from yours, you know? Like, yeah. I b- was very conscious of coming on here. In a way, my house was very um, n- normal. You know, both my parents, um, we were regularly fed, you know, all of that stuff, out to school, very functional. Yeah. Um, there was a lovely warmth between my parents. Like, there was a real affection Mm. Um, between them um, and at the same time we would have maybe been tiptoeing around mam mm. a bit you okay. know uh, coming off the bus coming in from in from school and kind of seeing you know what kind of form is she in mm. but was there was it was um, like it, it, the, we didn't fight, you know, none of like we we didn't even fight among ourselves. Like if, or if there was something you were told to take it off down the yard. And of course we didn't. So that was really like the instruction was don't fight, you know, because mm-hmm. if if it was if there was, you know, go off and fight somewhere else and it was meant you would. you know, yeah, like yeah. So we didn't do we didn't do that, you know. So that was kind of it would have been quite a quiet house in a way. And I mean, I probably people would find this surprising in a sense at how difficult you know things were for me you know um that wouldn't i wouldn't we wouldn't have kind of looked like i wouldn't have looked like somebody who would have had a lot of trauma Mm. and there's um i suppose part of part of why i wrote the book is you know i was in my 60s or just before undevelopmental Developmental trauma. Developmental trauma, yeah. The causes, the experience, and the recovery. Yeah. So maybe if we can go... We'll start at the causes. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe let's let's even ask you firstly, what were the traumas that you believed you suffered as a young child? I think where I'd like to start with that is that, you know, both of your life's experiences would have pointed to 
inevitably you being assessed for having yeah. had trauma. Mm. But actually, one of the things that I discovered only in the last two years, really, was that that there were things that happened to um, infants and maybe even in the uterus mm. that can have a massive impact on somebody's ability to um, relate with others or um, even relate to themselves. Mm. Excuse me, my nose is... It's fine. Okay. But you heard our conversation with Dr. Bessel van der Kolk, yeah. um, who wrote The Body Keeps the Score, and like trauma is not, it's not, a, it's not about uh, something that you recall consciously. Yeah. It, it can be an experience that your body remembers, and it can happen when you're in the womb, when you're just a traumatic birth can create a trauma that affects you as an adult. So, like, it's important to understand, like, that. But he, a traumatic event has happened and the memory of it brings up the negative side effects down the line it's not about the memory of it in your conscious memory it's about how it's stored in the body and it can be stored in the body of the body of a little baby too that's right that's right i i only recently got numbers but apparently on a um unconscious level or um Im implicit level of the memory we can have 11 million um, pieces of information over that in one second mm. and we have both access to about seven mm. seven points otherwise so all of that is stored in the body and if if we're um if you know if we're not uh, traumatized that kind of moves through but if you get stuck if there's an experience that's kind of a bit painful that can that gets stored or gets really mm. you know gets really yeah. impacted but it's what what i you know your mother might get a fright yeah. when she's carrying you at the you know sometime in the early few yeah. months um and that that would have happened to me um i was born by cesarean section that was um in the recovery process for me, I kind of re-experienced that um, body remembering mm. sense of that. And that was brutal. What was it like? Shocking, oh. brutal. Yeah. Just that sense of, you know, kind of the experience coming, you know, making itself felt that that retained mm. um, and memory. What, what kind of therapy did you have to do for you to be able to relive something like that? And how, how did you get that deep into into that time and and event happening in your life, even though you were so small? Um, there's a couple of the modalities that I work mm. with and that I experienced that would have taken me there. Okay. Um, and, I'm but I, I, I might come back to that in a minute because yeah. it just, yeah, it's, kind of yeah, to yeah. Set, it's kind of yeah. more to set a bit of a context really for mm. um, people who for whom it's not obvious that you've had trauma. You know, it's like that That in a sense, because for me, I had spent um, okay. Take your time. Yeah. Yeah. Take your time. It's a lot of interesting stuff because yeah. what you're talking about now has me very, very, very much cued in because when I was a baby, I was born in 1981, okay, and when my mother was giving birth to me, I I was told by my auntie 
that they use the forceps yeah. to take me out. What's that and to me? It's like a big fire. Oh, I know the York. And the damage that was caused to me was so bad that when other fathers were calling other fathers in the ward and other people that were coming in that to bring to bring him and um, bring him down to see me because my head had swollen you know it was after going up to two to three times normal child size you know and i'm here then sitting trying to understand what that may have caused in my own life no amongst other things you know yeah um, because I know my mother had a very, very stressful pregnancy as well, you know, because of, of, of um, obvious stuff that I know and my family know. Um, but that has a, an effect on people massively. And, and I have be- learned that myself through reading books and listening to other therapists. So can you explain that a little bit when you're ready? Yeah. Uh, even if there's more stuff that we need to talk about before we get onto that part. Let's start there. Yeah. So one of the things that can happen when um, is, is these small, these apparently small incidences, like cesarean birth, okay, it, there wasn't a choice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My mother had a curvature in the spine, so she wasn't able to um, deliver, you, you know, to deliver any of the six of us, actually. Um, and there isn't an appreciation that for the child, like, you, you know, Babies come when they're ready, when things are natural and and normal. Yeah. But being taken out of the uterus, you know, in mm. somebody else's time, um, actually was shocking into an environment that was light, bright, clinical, cold, even though it may not have been cold, my experience of it. I mean, it was shock really probably was what I was, mm. what, what kind of, came up for me when I experienced that. But people don't see that as something that would have been necessarily traumatic. Mm. Um, there was, and I'm not sure of, of the why, but there was certainly a shock that I got when my mother was carrying me at the age, you know, in the, in the early, in the first three months of pregnancy. And there were other things that happened later on. But what these early traumas can do is impact what are known as the developmental milestones that every child kind of has to has to mark. And they're um, um, these the word now is escaping me. Um, primitive reflexes, you know, things that um, as the child grows, the the automatic doing changes from being automatic into some, being something conscious. But the very first primitive reflex um, that they know about uh, happens in the uterus in the first three months. And if you get a fright while your mother's carrying you, either she gets a fright or you get a fright for whatever reason, what happens to the infant is the, the stomach contracts, back arches and the whole posture of the child kind of it's like the child will go back against probably the spine of the mother as well mm. but there's this contracted feeling and it's the or contracted contraction yeah. that happens and in an ideal pregnancy that might be triggered but it has a chance to work its way out and 
it can it it can be then integrated in so it's it becomes irrelevant but if you if for some reason you have a trauma that d- doesn't heal in the moment say if the parent was um stressed and remains stressed the mother was stressed and remains stressed mm. then um that doesn't integrate in the child so the one of the things that happened there's a man Stephen Tyrrell who or Tyrrell who who developed the, one of the therapies that I work with and he says if you haven't fully integrated the peer for, the fear paralysis reflex you cannot help but live your life through the lens of fear mm. so that for me was very much something that um once I discovered that, it just made so much sense for me. Like was the your sense life, of was your life full of fear, I, but I wasn't aware of it. Like I, just, fr- that, that's just how it was, and you were just I, that that's just how, the way it yeah. was. Well, it wasn't even that I thought that was the the way it was. It was like the first time, kind of, that I realized that that I was tense and maybe a little bit different from all the others, you know, generally yeah. around was. Two of my sisters were coming home from college with their friends and whatever, and there'd be a whole gang of them, and there'd be bodies all over the sitting room, and there'd be people sitting on the floor and getting massaged from people sitting on the couch behind them and all of that. You couldn't touch me because I was that hard. And that was kind of the first time I realised that that wasn't normal. You know, it's like the the level of tension, just that level of... Locked in your body. Completely, but it was my... I wasn't even aware that it was yeah. that painful in a sense, you, yeah. you know, at that. Because you're living with it. Yeah, I, yeah can, like I, I had no, that. I had no mm. other experience, but it was like when I saw this happening, it was like, okay, you're not doing that to me. Mm. You know, it's like, that's, that's not happening, you yeah. know. Um, but so that was kind of the first awareness of that. And How old I, were you then? Uh, I'd have been 20 mm. in my, you know, 20s, like they were, they were in college, they were they're the two young younger than me, so a year two you know a year and a year younger, so I'd have been twenty mm. thereabouts um so that would have been kind of the first uh, you know objective reflection of that mm. you know i didn't I didn't have that before Did it affect your ability you know through your teenage years your early twenties to form intimate relationships oh i've had no intimate <laughs> that just you know that didn't even yeah. yeah that like the first boyfriend that i would have had was uh i was in my late 30s mm. really yeah yeah were you lonely in your 20s and teens and i was but again your, your, your i didn't i didn't know that yeah i really didn't know that you know yeah. like on some level i i i i for a lot of my life would have felt like an outsider among people you know well even among my sisters you know mm-hmm. i didn't like i wasn't able to play like the rest of them you know like there would have been quite a bit of play but i just wasn't able to to do that do you know what you're saying here exactly i can relate to it all right yeah at a young age i came across drugs and alcohol and that took that stemmed that out for me yeah you know did that did did alcohol or drug did you ever tip off alcohol or drugs at that point in your life because i think if you did 
Might have helped in that. <laughs> it would have definitely took you down that route because it would have opened, it would have completely opened you up. And it, what alcohol and drugs yeah. does is it gives you the opposite to where you feel. The core conditions that. for addiction were yeah. there. And if you did start, yeah. if you did pick up, yeah, you probably was, would have just destroyed yourself with the alcohol and drugs. Well, you see, I probably had my own addiction in a way, but my, my, my addiction was a reliance on my mind. You know, like there was this control, this kind of in a way, you know, trying to figure things out and, and the whole things. And it's only recently in, in more recent times in my struggle with meditation that I've kind of realized that, you know, anytime that kind of became close to opening up or getting free, that it's like I'd be back away from there, not even realizing where I was going, but I was back into kind of the thing that I could rest on, which was my mind, you know, this mm. kind of rigid um, way of seeing that, you know, or relating um, in situations, but it was like away from, you know, anything mm. that would be about feeling or, you know, yeah. like, you know, as far away from that as I possibly Yeah, do you know when um, you were, when you were in get. school, did you, did you go to college, I suppose, or? No, I went from there, from, from school to the tech and did a short, or, you know, did a secretarial course at that stage and then later went in or following from that, I went, got the civil service. I went in as a clerical assistant. I was there for just under uh, 20 years. And when I left, um, I had been promoted just once. And that's actually, I'm not a stupid woman. I'm, you know, of quite a bit of intelligence. And to that's just kind of, remarkable underperformance in a sense for what my abilities mm. are you know it's, mm. it isn't a reflection of what i would have been capable of yeah, yeah. Is, is this is it a case of you weren't able to achieve your potential because of what you were going through or is it the case of sexism in the workplace no i i th there was a whole level of just disconnection from um well, there was a few things. It's like even, you know, as I was sharing, sharing with you before we came online, yeah. any time about shining was, uh, you know, like excelling in something was something that was, you know, something I couldn't allow myself to do. You know, there's mm. a real big fear around doing that. But also there was a major disconnection. I was thinking this morning, you know, kind of saying, well, what am I going to share with these, you know, these two men? Mm. And uh, kind of realizing that, just to to give an indication of how disconnected I was, yeah. like I worked in the civil service com civil service commission, which was actually the recruiting body, and also would have you know been responsible for exams for promotion and all of that. Yeah. And so there were colleagues I went for promotion from clerical officer to executive officer, and there were colleagues of mine or people who knew me in the office, you know, as a part of the board that wouldn't have been the whole board. But I came out of that thinking that I had done a really good interview and I told my boss at the time. And then one of the really lovely gentlemen who had interviewed me at the time, you know, had a chat with me before the results were out. And he said, you did a really bad interview. Mm. And I had no idea. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's so, not typical, though, is it? Like to get your feedback like that before an official. Yeah. No, but he was being kind, actually. Yeah. You know, like he he yeah. was he was kind of letting me know. Yeah, that things were good. Like, yeah. yeah, and. Um, Did he give you any other feedback of like how you? Well, it, it in in a, in a way, 
it 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 wasn't about that. The re- my telling you that wasn't about that so much as to um, highlight the level of disconnection from yeah. myself. You thought you did great, but you were so removed from what I, other people was actually seeing. Yeah, that 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 wasn't you know that it wasn't mm-hmm. true, mm-hmm. you know, and you know so so again it's more to point out that yeah, than than yeah. than anything anything else. And um, like, can you describe the disconnection? I know now that you've given us an example, like, but how else would it affect you in your life? Or like, when you say you're disconnected, like, uh, are you, your friends? You're, you're living in your head. Is it mm-hmm. you're overthinking stuff and you're disconnected from your body? Or there was cer- certainly a lot of overthinking. Yeah. You know, that would have been that. That was my, you know, the thing that I could rely on. My, you know, because I, I am sharp. I am clear. Mm, yeah. But completely introverted, though. Introverted and at that stage not aware of. Yeah, probably the interactions with other people. Mm. You know. Um, yeah. I completely understand what you're saying. Yeah. Because it sounds like my own story in in some ways. Mm-hmm. You know, until I did find drugs. So up until the age of 12 and 13 I was completely all over the place I felt like I was an alien living in this planet yeah I thought everybody else was just poor here I thought I was in the Truman show when mm, your man movie. is yeah when your man is fucking the you film this whole life yeah. and every, That's right. I felt like yeah. everybody around me was just put here for me to live this mad weird life and it was completely caught up in my head and um, I hadn't a clue Mm. I, hadn't, I literally hadn't a clue because I thought everybody thought the same way as me, yeah. lived the same way as me, felt the same way as me. But it wasn't until I went on my own little bit of a journey mm. that I realized it wasn't, you know. Um, I'm all, I'm after opening your book here, right? And it's the first page I got to and I have to just say, there's a diagram here, right? And it says, developmental trauma contributing factors and I looked at all the, the contributing factors you know and, and, and I not I don't Call say things him. for pity but I could definitely say probably every single one of them were a factor in my own life mm-hmm. at some point yeah. so we'll start with witnessing the domestic abuse okay sexual abuse depressed parent neglect Shock e negro. I don't know what that means. What does that mean? Uh, it says shock. Oh, in utero. In utero. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. sorry. Is, that, <laughs> is that in the uterus? Yeah. yeah. Or for babies? Yeah. Yeah. Caesarean section, an alcoholic parent, quick or a short labor, which yeah. we spoke about or, earlier, being fostered. Yeah. Being adopted. Yeah. Hospitalization when young. Yeah. A traumatic birth. This is a good one. Inherited trauma from a parent, mm-hmm. which is their trauma being passed on to them, which is completely something that they don't even understand they're doing. Yeah. You know, it's completely uh, unaware. We have an anxious parent, a detached or remote parent, substance abuse, all these different things. Like they can, a child can start detaching from. Drama's mm-hmm. interesting about yeah. that. Like in compared to the A study, which would be well known, and we spoke about how the A study doesn't really have pre-birth. That's right. Um, 
adverse childhood experiences listed. Mm. Like in the A studies, like have you been to child of an imprisoned parent, poverty in the home, neglect, violence, addiction, all these things, mental health in the home. But there's nothing there about how were you conceived, how was the pregnancy, what was the birth like. And that's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That's what it stuck out to me straight away. When I was in psychotherapy, I'd done the ACE uh, chart with with my psychotherapist. Mm -hmm. And I actually, a lot of them were quite similar. Yeah. I thought you were going to say, there, you aced it. <laughs> yeah, I definitely aced it. <laughs> I got full That's the one test you don't want full marks. It was probably the first test I ever done that I got 100%. <laughs> uh, it's great that we can laugh about this stuff today. Indeed. Because indeed. when you think yeah. about the amount of trauma and pain that has to go through to start ticking off these boxes and stuff, but you know, if you get through it to a place where you can laugh about it down the line, is great, but one thing I wanted to ask, and you feel free to avoid the question. Yeah. Did you ever have a conversation with your mother about what the pregnancy was like? Uh, did you ever get some feedback on like what actually was it just the cesarean section? Is that was that the event that caused that fear in you? No, no. I well, I no, I never had a chance to have a, a talk with her. Um, she died in two thousand and six, and you know, a lot of the yeah, a lot of um, I suppose the clarity that would have come to me, or the you know, the healing and insights that I'd have got, came later. Yeah. You know, um, so but but in the sense of the body keeps the score, there are ways to remember you know, to bring into awareness those things. And they may not even, because again, in utero, it's very pre-verbal, yeah. you know, a child doesn't have that capacity to, to think it, but they, there can be an experience of the, sho- of the shock or the trauma mm. in somebody's system. And I just, like, because of the way things would have presented, it was very clear to me that I had trauma in the first three months that never really integrated fully. Yeah. You know, but I, I I want to kind of go back to, like, the things that ended up having quite a big impact for me um, would have been shock in the very early days um, uh, of, of the pregnancy, the cesarean birth. There was an incident between my parents again when I was about three that I got caught in the middle of it. And, like, I had been my, my daddy's you know, little girl. And there would have been some level of jealousy between of my mother, Mm. by my mother of me. And I got in the middle of something that triggered a response that I ended up being just petrified and terrified. There was no violence done. It was Mm. more like the space of something that frightened the three year old. Um, Again, anybody on the outside wouldn't have seen necessarily that there was any great drama in that. Um, at the age of seven, um, I was uh, masturbating, completely lost in pleasure, utterly spread in pleasure when I was pulled out of that violently by one of my parents. Of course, very Catholic, very mm. that's not something you did. I w- was completely unaware when that happened. So again, shocked and yeah. traumatized by that. But again, like that wouldn't stand out as a big thing, you know, mm. and it wasn't, it was something that was so shocking for me in a sense that I didn't remember that mm. 
for a long, long time. What age did you say that was? I was seven. Yes. And I never touched, touched myself again mm. until my 30s, That's well sad. into my 30s, mm. yeah. It's yeah. sad. Can I, ask, can I ask a very awkward and stupid question, <laughs> right? Yeah. Because I'm a boy. Mm. And a boy will not become interested sexually or function sexually until he hits puberty, 11, 12, yeah. and testosterone starts booting through the body mm. and erections and all these things, and then you become interested. Is it different for a girl? I think that you probably would find that mothers of babies and little boys and little girls will be touching themselves. Mm. Um, you know, like yeah. it, do, it does happen, you know, except that mostly there were you're in nappies or whatever. But it does like it's not it's a natural thing, like, it's a, but, but it's not even necessarily mm. a curiosity. It's like, I mean, I'm not an expert on this and it's not something I've gone into. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just making... If anybody making, listening is, <laughs> give us a show. But you know what? I think it's very, very interesting. It is. It is fascinating. It's, it's, it's something that is not spoken about no. more often. And, and, and I think it should be because it takes the shame away from it. Yeah. Because it's completely natural. Yeah. Does like that I, make sense? It, it does. Like I remember when... One of my nieces came to visit me. I was living in North Cork at the time. And she was, it was around about the time. She wouldn't have been long potty trained, I think. But I can mm. remember, um, I can remember her standing and I was, I was behind her and just this deliciousness in her body. Like mm. it, she wasn't, the, she wasn't touching herself or anything, but just this sense mm. of deliciousness, mm. you know, and innocent and beautiful mm. and just really really lovely and that's a natural thing yeah. but but that you know that's okay in you know socially mm. in a child of that size but not necessarily even appreciated for what it is mm. and that's somewhere then later on like whatever that expression was or however i experienced it i couldn't even necessarily yeah. describe that to you um you know would be judged later on or you know it's like you know there's a whole lot of stuff that kind of stops, you know, that is acceptable in a child up to a certain age. Mm. And then probably because later on that curiosity comes, will come in at puberty, you mm. know. So there may well be some kind of disconnection there between a natural, you know, sensuality, mm. which, you know, we're, we're creatures that thrive on touch and connection, mm. Mm. you know, so that... But our but our society doesn't actually support that, you know. Mm. So again, I don't. I'm. I. I don't have a a special knowledge yeah, about yeah, that as enough. such, you know. But I. Yeah. But I do feel like there's so much that um, that happens to disconnect us from what's really. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Natural um, no. I suppose for us. It brings, it brings, brings us back to the child being itself. It's itself. No judgment. No yeah. influence. And then all of a sudden, the adult who is conditioned from their parents yeah. coming in and telling the child that sees no harm, it's completely innocent. Yeah. yeah and yeah. that being ripped away from you. Yeah. No, you can't do that. That's yeah. Catholic church, no, back in the time. Yeah. We have to remember, you know, it was a different time back yeah. then, religion. Not so much religion, the church. Yeah, it was over everything in, in this country. Yeah. And that was just an example of how the uh, the child is kind of taken away from becoming mm. that person, that true self, that free, that, you know, just light soul where yeah. they go through life and they, they learn from their own stuff. But, yeah. Um, it was just unfortunate, like how it came about with yourself and yeah. then how that affected you well into your hobbies then. Yeah, but the point that I keep wanting to make about it is is that in a sense, it the, those traumas aren't that obvious and they wouldn't weren't even that obvious to me in a way mm. um that they could have such an impact yeah and in a way like your circumstances were so extreme from mm. f- from where i stand that it was obvious that you'd had yeah. traumatic experiences and um what was really difficult for me was it was i was in my 30s before in the late 20s before i began to realize that um okay i'm disconnected here the interview i had been sharing a um a house with a couple of lads in dublin you know just friends like there wasn't any yeah. anything like that and they asked me to leave because i was too difficult to live with mm. so again like that shocked me mm. um and it was they probably came around about the same time those two those two events and that was when I began to do therapy to start kind of realizing okay there must be something wrong with me and after that you know you name it I probably tried it um homeopathy massage um counseling um all of those things um craniosacral therapy god i can't even i can't even remember you know a lot of them um about 15 after about 15 years i found my way into a meditation school that had a was a huge is still a huge part of my life as well as meditation they had practices that would help you to explore your inner world explore the things that stopped you going deep in meditation and had methods for doing that and which are very powerful techniques 
And 15, 14, 15 years later, they weren't working for me. And it really brought a sense and nothing I tried. You know, there might be something would change, but it wouldn't really, you know, mm. it, would, it would kind of um, revert back mm. again. And um, then I heard this talk by a woman called Kathy Kane and at the same time another interview by a man called Stephen Terrell. And Kathy in particular described the difficult clients. So she's a she was a body worker, but she was also a teacher of body workers and she would travel around, you know, she's American, but she would do trainings in different parts of the What's globe. A body worker. Massage, you know, all those kinds of yeah. th- all those kinds of therapies. She would have been very. She's very knowledgeable in yeah. all of those areas. Somatic, is it? Or so somatic. Somatic. Pa- pa- yeah, partly and partly just just mm. you know just massage, like you know just yeah. e- even that. But she, I don't even necessarily know the full extent of her training, except that she's very highly respected. Would have been going into these different cities around the, around the globe, the therapists who'd been coming to her would have been bringing their difficult clients to her. And, and they were releasing trapped well, emotional the, stuff within the did part, Yeah, it would be that or else even like what can happen with people who have um, developmental trauma is that injuries don't even injuries don't don't heal. You know, it's like the the because there's often some kind of an emotional impact Mm. you know caught up in some in something physical or you know the back will won't just stay fixed you know it's like so so people started to bring she found that she was getting all of the difficult clients and then she, she began to start wondering like what's this about and what she realized was that it was people with um and I would have considered myself a difficult client you know um the therapies just didn't work and um that there was a that there was reasons for it and the reasons for it is that when you have young experiences that are traumatizing it actually shapes your nervous system so it's coming at it a little bit differently well probably the same thinking behind it as that man whose name i can't remember that's the that's the one but it it shapes your nervous system in a in a particular way so as i describe in the book when you're in an ideal birth or, you know, childhood or as, as close to ideal as possible. When we're born as infants, you we have the full range of um, emotion. So we can go into the deepest of bliss. And I've, I'm sure, you know, you have been in the presence of an infant and when there is sleep and there's this beautiful expression on there and it brings to you to a silence it's not like you're just saying oh isn't she very pretty but it actually stills you like that that's a depth in the child that's touching something in you so a child has that but we've also been in this in the company of a child who scream you'd hear in the next parish not a mind you know so you've got like you know the, the angry rageful red-faced commanding the room you can't ignore it mm. so you've got this Every child has that spectrum, right? So the role of the parent in that, the carer, the mother, father, you know, whoever the carer is, to 
be with that child, whatever, you know, whatever that their experience is, the intensity of the rage, the intensity of of the bliss in a way. You hold a safe space for them to rest in that and come back. And if they're in the rage, if they're in a rage and the the parent is grounded and present and not upset by the fact that the child is raging or screaming or, you know, um, but they're able to hold it and be present. The child will, the rage will begin to stop. Their nervous system begins to regulate. regulate. It comes into harmony with the grounded parent mm-hmm. and and their nervous system is beginning to be shaped by that. So they they have the experience of going into the full intensity but they're also their nervous system is being shaped and they're learning how to come back into calm. Right. So that's that's that actually has an impact on the physiology. The nervous system has has that range. So that's part of the job of parenting is to facilitate that learning. Mm. So if you if your parent is anxious or absent or, you know, like there but not there, you know, not able to really connect um, or um, frightened or, or whatever and they pick you up and they want, shh, you know, the child wants, you know, calm the child down, but it's like, calm the child down, you know, <laughs> like it's anxiety meeting mm you know, meeting some emotion, meeting whatever it is in, in the child, the anger or, or whatever. Um, and that's going to shape, the child's nervous system is going to be shaped by that so that somewhere it doesn't quite learn the same capacity to go all the way out there and and know that it couldn't come back safely. Yeah. You know, so 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 it, sh- it, it, it impacts the shape of your nervous system. Very important information. It it really is. It it it, yeah. it really. It, I think it's really key, really really key. And as well as that, like if you're living in traumas, th- some of those milestones won't be met or won't be met fully. Like one of the other ones that I mention of my own experience in the book is um, the the Palmer reflex. And again, like yeah. all of everybody has had the experience of putting their hand in in an infant's. Yeah. hand and that happens you know yeah. and it's quite a it's quite a catch yeah baby grab your finger baby grab your finger and you can't yeah, you like you, yeah. you have you have to kind of yeah you know like just forceful like yeah forceful. yeah you have to you have to make your way out of it like it's, a, it's not yeah. just a, it's not just a simple thing like they have a hold and that's a survival mechanism um for me as an adult when i'm it's not as anyway as severe as it was you know but if I'm holding hands with my husband he'll say loosen your grip and I will Mm. and seconds later um, my grip is tight again Mm. it's not as much uh, again not as much as it was but even what will happen for me is I can find myself doing that and as a child is um, developing what happens that's that's the very young one right where the thumb is right in the middle and in the process that that palmar reflex i think it's i'm not sure is it in the first 18 months or something that fully integrates 
But as time goes on in that development, it'll it'll go to that. Mm. And then you become later able to uh, able to, you know, functionally, functionally open your hand and close it, whereas all this is done reflexively. So obviously I have the function of my hands, but I still have this reflex retained. Mm. So the physical expression of it is that. But that's not, you know, for me, I have that in emotionally, I have that mentally. It's like the rigidity that would have been so much of my experience. Um, I didn't have the security because of whatever frights that I got mm. that that allowed that to integrate. So that that again has impacted has impacted me. And there's so many of those. That I'm not sure how many there. There's a list of the. What about a baby sucking it or an adult sucking their thumb? Have you ever come across an adult sucking their thumb? I know a couple of people. Yeah, suck their thumbs. They're adults. I wonder is this. It it's it's very likely. I mean, there's one of the other one of the other reflexes is um, there's a sucking and rooting reflex, and. Again, if you're breastfed or, you know, if a child is breastfed, one of the things that like if you run your finger from there to the corner of your mouth, um, that's you'll notice my head's turning. I'm not actually turning my head. My head turns to that. Right. (laughs) So 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 in a child that is breastfed, um, that's one of the things that they'll do. They'll turn to find the breast. Yeah. And. It's actually an important reflex, actually, yeah. as well, because it's like it's a part of learning to find food mm. and it's a part of successfully learning to find food. You know, like when you so so there's a there's some part of the child learning that, OK, I can look mm. and find, you know, except that all of us, again, were bottle fed. I mean, it was the thing in the 60s. Yeah. Um, Sorry, my nose keeps running. Okay. Well, while you're doing that there, I just want to repeat something that you mentioned a while ago because I think it's very, very important. And I, what was going through my head at the time was why are we not teaching young parents this sort of stuff, how to regulate it with a child at, at a really young age? And like, we look to change our future today in the present moment yeah. with the damage already done, okay? But by changing our future in 20 years time, we need to act upon these things right now and change our future by changing these kids, by giving them the right resources as as children and and having, I know it's a massive, massive task and it's, it's, I I can't get my head around how, how, how we'd even change society in that way. But when you started talking about the regulation of the child, and the parent and distress, you know, and, and if the child meets the child, because the child is screaming and if the parent meets him with stress and anxiety, it's just going to make it worse. But if they meet him with complete calmness and love, I can understand how that be that can become co- coherent. And yeah. Because I've been in groups of people meditating where the coherence was just love. And people have gotten healed through that coherent love. Yeah. And it was through the energy. And it's just like, that's the the future. 
That is yeah. the changing of the future. That is how we change our adults in the future and how they become more, yeah, more balanced, more, more uh, caught up in homeostasis where they're they're not caught up in the the the, the madness of the just what's it called the system something it system becomes difficult then. Though if you have a screaming baby mm. and you don't have the skills yeah. or you don't have maybe you're not you're not in a good place yourself. Well, that's right. I mean, you, you know, just because you you know what you should do doesn't mean you can. Exactly. Because, as I say, in my example, for for almost thirty years, I have been actively searching to heal, and not getting anywhere in any way that's stuck. You know, so so so, like, in a way, I think that that again coming back to why I wrote why I wrote the book was because um, my trauma wasn't recognised mm. um, but it, I knew there was something wrong and I had felt like I was wrong like there must be something really wrong with me but as I was saying when this interview that I heard Cathy Kane talking about people who didn't who were like me who didn't fix you know, yeah. and it's young trauma that has shaped a nervous system um, that it doesn't have that flexibility. You know, so again, in different environments, you learn how to um, to adapt to that situation. And you have this whole range of or you have this range of, of emotion that you can that you can actually live with, mm. you know, and it might even be like some I didn't do rage. You know, that was something like. I mean, I can remember when I was working in the civil service, there's one guy um, that I was, you know, friendly with. He was married. He was younger than me as well. A couple of children, I think. Um, but I can remember at one stage there was loud voices between him and me. And I thought, that's it. And, you know, he never talked to me again. Never, you know. And the following day he came in and it was like, you know, there was, mm. you know, I just didn't know that that could happen. Yeah. You know, but but my my range of of familiar and of emotions that i could handle was kind of within this was in this bandwidth my nervous system was shaped in a way that supported that so as long as any therapy that i was getting didn't address the particular shape of my nervous system or the fact that my nervous system couldn't go in the other direction and feel safe no therapy was going to to work for me mm. and that for me was huge like when she described that i said that's what's wrong with me mm -hmm. like and i cried the softest tears mm. that i ever cried because you are explaining day. this so so well yeah. and so many people are going to get so much <laughs> help from this because you're explaining the nervous system was was made through these different experiences as a young child, but they can be changed. They can they can be changed once you're aware that that that's actually a factor in the back pain, mm. the headache, the low self esteem. You know all of those all of those issues. It's like that to me is, like as I said earlier, I have you know you name it therapy. I've probably done it. Mm. you know somewhere along the line almost 30 years getting nowhere yeah but not like and it wasn't that i kind of you know you know once a year i'd, <laughs> I'd decide to do something 
I've been working on myself and in the meditation school for a lot of years. And and like something that I've been very clear about in the book as well. It's like it's not that I don't think those therapies have any value. I think I, like with the meditation school, the work there is profound. But the awareness of the role of the nervous system isn't known. Like it's relatively yeah. new. It's relatively new. Roman, you got that awareness then, and then the penny drops you. Did you then have to go and do, like, did you find yourself a bullet of a therapy that worked for you? I did, and the, um, there are a few modalities that are, that address developmental trauma, but the one that that I work, um, that that has worked for me and that I work with, is called transforming the experienced based brain. And it was developed by um, Stephen Terrell. He's based in the United States. And he has been working with the fostering and adoption services in um, Austin, Texas, Texas. For, uh, for over 20 years now. But he also had adopted two, um, two boys himself, single parent. And it was in trying to meet their needs that he realized that all of the therapies that were being offered were didn't work or were too harsh or whatever and he realized that it was actually a lot of really preverbal stuff you know preverbal states um not cognitive and as long as you're you know cognitive stuff helps you know and i know that you've had had a, a lot of benefit from understanding and you as well mm-hmm. Um, Timmy but it's the it's to provide the the therapy in effect actually is to provide the same kind of space for the adult or the child I mean he has actually worked with children I know that one story of um, a child who was in line for a kidney transplant um and as a result of the of working with Stephen, they didn't need the kidney transplanted. Just there was so much shock in his system that the kidney had stopped working. You know, so mm. it, the um, the therapy really holds a space where ideally, you know, a, a, a present parent um, provides their nervous system you know, to the child. Well, the therapist does the same thing. It's not, it's not a talk therapy, mm-hmm. you know, it's really a space of holding and, and addressing. Um, so I encountered this in COVID and my, my, ther- my treatments were remote, but it was bringing conscious awareness with um, the therapist to different parts of the nervous system. So for me, it was um, well, it's actually th- there's a seven point protocol. So it begins by supporting the heart, it's supporting the heart in two different directions. Mm-hmm. You know, just holding a space for the heart, then bringing awareness to the to the right kidney and the right adrenal gland, and then to the left kidney and the left adrenal gland, and then up to the brainstem. And and these are all major parts of of our anatomy that are charged with. Ensuring our survival. Mm. And as you bring awareness there, 
it may take a while, depending on the level of trauma, before before those organs even begin to be aware of the fact that they're being held. But mm-hmm. as and and it's it may be, and as that happens, um, then um, your system begins to learn to to be able to relax. Mm. Um, and, then- e- and each one, and what can happen? I I remember um, you know Stephen talking about this. Then it's like, what might happen is that for the in the beginning you mightn't feel anything for for a little while. But then you you begin to feel relaxed on the table. But as soon as you put your feet on the floor, it's gone again because it's it's a it's a foreign country. Being yeah. at ease is a foreign country to you if you've never known what ease is like. Uh, and then maybe you'll get as far as the therapy room door as you're leaving. And the next over a little while you might get as far as the as the car. But your system is learning and it needs to be gradual because what would have happened to me over the years with different therapies is I might have had something like that was a big experience. But as I said, it it's like if you're kind of what's a fundamental principle really is, is that our nervous system is is tasked with only one task, really, to ensure our survival. Mm. And if it knows that, OK, this set of experiences is what has kept me safe, even if it has felt like I'm clinging on by my, mm. by my fingernails to something and it's exhausting. Um, if I'm brought into a space where I'm not feeling that and I might even enjoy it for a little while, but it's like eventually and that can be longer or shorter. It's like, mm. you know, what's this? It's not safe here. Like, I don't know what I don't know what this country is. So it's, it's right back to that again. Yeah. And it makes absolutely no sense on a on a logical experiential level. I mean, it's lovely to be at ease. But if that's not built into your nervous system, for your nervous system to know that I can be like that and be safe, it ain't going to hang out there. So in order to get from this limited experience of whatever it is that you do or, you know, I do. And for me, there was just this constant rigid Mm. tension to get from here into this open country of ease. I Cannot, my nervous system has to learn that, okay, I can afford to be at ease from here as far as the car. Mm-hmm. And maybe over time, you know, it might actually last a day or so. And over time, you know, so you, it begins to build up, but your system can then learn and, and the nervous system begins to get a flexibility in it in a way that it never had before. I can relate to a in some way what you're saying because you know when I was in addiction um, I think my nervous system was destroyed from benzodiazepines heroin alcohol all these things and I got to a stage where you know if you touched me I would jump like that even if I seen you doing that as soon as I felt the contact I would go like that if I felt contact and I didn't see it coming I would get a bigger shock and that complete sense of unease in your own skin uh, if I had a drug in me, I was okay. I could relax, safe. If I didn't have a drug in me, it was like tensed up, fair. The world is unsafe. You're not safe. You know. Mm. Uh, even when I came into recovery, then 
Um, in the treatment center, I, I experienced it after the detox, right? detox from Valium and methadone for a period of time after I felt it. But within the confines of residential treatment center, I began to say, I can relax here, everything is safe. Then you leave the treatment center, you come back to the big bad world, you go in, into you know, work and employment and relationships and college and all these things. And it's, all, it's that ease. Mm-hmm. But then I, I got comfortable with some meetings. Uh, I remember I was joining the gym. It took me 12 months to join the gym because the fear of it. But I began, like you said, and, and I work with drug and alcohol services at the moment. And I, a common thing that uh, we come across is people in early recovery, the sense of fear and anxiety and unease that they feel with themselves and say, I like, when will it pass? When will it pass? And it's like, like what you said there, the more you go to the meeting, the easier it becomes, the more you go to the gym, so you, know, you, 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 you feel that fear and you, and mm. you, you do it. And all of a sudden you'll be walking through town one of the days and you'll think like, fucking hell, I'm actually okay in myself now. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. a bit like that, isn't it? Yeah. 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 How's yeah. life for you today? Life is very, very different and it really turned around a huge amount in, in I mean, it's, it was at the beginning of the COVID um, s- scene that I discovered this. And I mean, I've been, I suppose, an aspirational therapist in a way for over 20, oh God, 30 years, probably. Yeah, near enough to it, somewhere, but somewhere... Yeah. Yeah. And really, it's only in the last while that I have the capacity in me to really hold a client in the way it need, they need to be held. And my business is, you know, it's it's reflecting that my relationship with my husband is changing. Um, you know, so many things are coming, have come right for me, really. But it, it's, I mean, this, as you said, it's such important information. It really is such important information. And it's. What I really like about it as well is the subtlety of it. You know, it's very, 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 very gentle, really yeah. very, very gentle. And for me, it brought an incredible compassion for myself. You, you know, I've been, you know, my flatmates in, in Dublin, I was probably 29, I'd say, 20, yeah, 28, 29. Um, they found me hard. Um, to live with like you can imagine what it was like for Bridget living with Bridget you know, know like know. very you know at that level of pain that I described as yeah. a you know 20 year old yeah um and and you know 15 years or um, I mean for, for 14 15 years doing the meditation practices and being very diligent and and it not working like and mm. like f- just the depth of despair mm. that I had when I found it when I when I came across this work and like really I, as low as I'd ever been the lowest I'd ever been really and in the last two years just so much has turned around for me and it's brilliant that um like it's brilliant because like we're the Tony's podcast obviously we talk about recovery not yeah. just recovery from addiction recovery from everything mm. and what worked for me Timmy did something exactly, else yeah. there's something exactly. for everybody and you'll just have to highlight something that mm. we didn't know about do you know what I liked about what you said there um, you spoke about you got to a place in your life where you nearly tried everything and then this came into your lap yeah and yeah. this worked yeah I think you have to try nearly everything well, you do, yeah. until it works because everybody is so unique yeah. within their skin mm-hmm. 
and not everything will work for everybody. And that is a fact because yeah. what works for you won't work for me. What worked for James yeah. won't work for me. It's it's so different. And now you've gone to oh, Jesus, I'm gonna have to fuck. I have to go on down a good few avenues now, like yourself as well. And I've gotten something from absolutely everything. Yeah. And I'm still going. I'm yeah. still going. And I'm the next thing I'm going at is EMDR. Okay, yeah. Okay, because it's energy. It's, there's trapped there's trapped emotion from experiences in my past mm-hmm. still there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going down that route. But I wouldn't have been able to go down that route a few years ago. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Because I'm more in touch with my body. Yeah. And I'm more in touch with the energies that are trapped within my body, yeah. particularly the shame, toxic shame. And this this down here within me. And um, I think it's fantastic. It is, yeah. I think you're an absolutely <laughs> amazing person, right? Yeah. And Thank you. I think you have so much to offer, you know, and I could relate to a lot of your story, mm. you know, um, with the, the introverted stuff and the head and and the touch. And as the two of you are speaking there about the touch stuff, I could completely relate because if I'm caught off guard and somebody touches mm. me, mm. It's like, oh, fuck. It's the hypervigilance from your past. Yes, comes, up, doesn't comes it? in and I have to say, oh, you have to bring it back a little bit here, pal. Mm. You know, um, mm. it's it's safe. It's a safe yeah. environment. Yeah. Nobody here wants to hurt you anymore. Yeah. You know, these people care about mm. you. They love you. You yeah. know, I completely mm. understood. But even from the, from the conversation we had there, I know Timmy's going to start and he's EMDR and you're only found what really worked for you later in life. Yeah. I started the Joe Dispenza meditation that Timmy did. I started that this week. Mm. But like... Powerful. There's, there's, it's never too late. And we're evolving all the time. And we're always learning. But it was great talking to you. Mm. Thanks for taking the time to come to us. If people want to buy your book and read your book, where can they access it? Um, so it's available in a couple of places. Um, there's a, a website called Print printmybook.com um it's actually uh, owned by Carrick Print in Middleton they so they've they published this mm. it's also available on Amazon brilliant um as well um but I, i'll give you the link information mm. i didn't actually remember to bring it with me here but i'll give That's it fine. to you and we'll stick it you in know the if you could if you I could will, for yeah. one as well see i read some of the book right and i was blown away by it and it explains a lot about trauma and the continuation that we have to live with with trauma in our bodies and for a lot of people they don't even believe that there's trauma there. they don't understand it they don't know why they behave in a certain way that book will help them to understand it yeah one of the things that i think is important is it's not a textbook yeah and it, it's and, and the words are big they're big spaces and the words yeah. easy to read as well it, it yeah it, it is and it's like one of the like. one of the lovely stories i think that that's mine around i've got a lot of um really beautiful feedback from different people who've read it like there was one of um one woman she said it was the best description ever of her experience Mm -hmm. you know so i think there'll be people who will recognize their situation from it you know just from reading it um but there's also um at my at my um the book launch and my combined birthday party my some of my in-laws um were there and my husband said, oh, you know now, he said that they won't, 
be buying your book. And I said, that's fine, you know, because they're they're neither readers nor, you know, into healing. He he also, you know, he does yeah. craniosacral therapy um, as well. And uh, I said, that's fine. I said, there's no, you know, mm-hmm. um, no, you know, it's my, I'm having a party, you know, just yeah. people to enjoy it. But one of them ended up um, taking it and I ended up getting a series of texts from him and from his wife kind of leapfrogging back over the day. You know, the, the one from him saying, um, uh, I must read your book. Um, this was now, I, I didn't get home until late last night because they they had travelled quite a distance. But when I get up now, I'll read it. So that, so that was first thing, like it was, he hadn't bought it, it was his wife had bought it. So he was obviously interested in it from what I had, few words I had said about it. Um, got a text an hour or so later saying, yeah, I've read about 12 pages, It's um, but I must have the breakfast now. And then I got a photo, uh, text from his wife to say, um, uh, our daughter is fascinated. She's never seen him with a book in his hand. And she sent me a photograph and he's sitting there reading it. And there was, there was a series of back yeah. and forth all day. And at the end, he'd finished it. So, so he'd read it in a day. He's not a reader. He had enjoyed it and he gave me feedback again. He said, I must get to read it and I'd ring it. Or, yeah. um, he related and to it. So. so very much. So it is quite yeah. easily mm. read and easily relatable as well. Brilliant. So. And we're going to give away a copy to our patrons as well. So um, yeah. thanks yeah. for coming on the podcast. Yeah, it was thank a pleasure. You. Thank yeah, you yeah. so much. Bruce. Least, you know, it was a pleasure yeah. listening to you and you're an amazing lady. And I mean that. Thank you. And I just want to congratulate you on what you what you're doing. You know, I, I there's what you how you present yourselves and the the solidity of all of you know of you, how you conduct your interviews and the whole thing. It's just very impressive. Thank you. So Thank much. you very much. Yeah. Thank, Thank you very much. God bless. Let me see Thanks everybody everyone. next week. Slan. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.